Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, I just wanted to give you all a short introduction to this five-part series on Islamic spirituality. I was very excited to put together this series because Islamic spirituality or Sufism has been a big interest for me and a system of thinking that I turn to time and time again to solve major obstacles and challenges I face in my personal life. All throughout my years of studying, I was blessed to have the subject matter as a core part of my training, so I've had a wide exposure to it through both books and practitioners. And I think in the current climate, it's more important than ever. Now, the first few episodes are a little more theoretical, so if you feel the information is too much, be sure to check out the episode notes, which I think will help you navigate through the material. I get more practical in episodes 4 and 5. And, as always, I'm open to feedback. You can leave comments on the Facebook page and Instagram, both under the name Making Sense of Islam, or you could go to makingsenseofislam.com to submit an email. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Take care. So for those who have been following, uh, just to place where we are, we talked in the very beginning about the hadith of Jibreel salam, and we talked about sort of the major aspects that make up the, the framework of the intellectual framework of Islam, uh, about the legal tradition or Sharia, uh, our belief system, our aqidah, and the focus on spirituality and experience, which is the theme uh, that we are talking about. And I, I, I spent a whole uh, session just on that because I want people to understand that when we talk about the religion of Islam, that's what those are the parts that make up the whole of Islam. If you have, if something is missing. From, from that, then we're missing part of our Islam. Uh, and our goal is to have a wholesome Islam because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, Ya amanu kafa. Oh, you who believe, enter into Islam completely. So we need all of it, not, not part of it. And then <clears throat> we talked about um, last time about who we are, the difference between the body the soul and the self. And we tried, I brought some props to, to show you guys and, and things like that. Today I want to focus on this concept of the self and what the self means and why this is the focus of Islamic spirituality. One of the challenging uh, things about this topic 
is that throughout our own literature, there is use of multiple words. So oftentimes we'll see the word soul, ruh, being used, but in actuality what is meant is the self, the nafs. And I'm trying to make a demarcation between the soul, the ruh, and the nafs, the self, uh, because it's more precise. But even in some of the, the books that I'll end up recommending if people want to you know, afterwards take this topic and you know, dig deeper, you'll even find an interchangeable amount or interchangeable words for the same thing. So the body, that's clear, it's the physical body. The soul, just to re review, the soul is the battery that makes the body awake. And then the nafs, the self, is that part inside of us that receives the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what makes us morally responsible. Sometimes we call it al-aql, the intellect. Sometimes we call it the heart, al-qalb. Uh, in my context, I'm going to use the word the self. And actually, I, I might even violate that and use other words. But I'm going to try to stick to the self just so we don't get confused, if you're not confused already. Now, when the ulama, they, they read the Qur'an, they found something very interesting. They said, after reading the Qur'an, we deduce that there are three goals that the Qur'an has given the human being. So all of humanity, whether people end up believing or not, there are three sort of meta goals, three commandments uh, that the Qur'an offers. The first is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسِ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Which I believe is that verse. Is it? Yeah, yeah okay. That we have not created the jinn or the jinn kind or humankind except to worship. Ibadah. So goal number one of our life is to worship God. How do we worship God? We worship God you know, by following the Qur'an and the Sunnah, by doing the mechanical prayer, by fasting, by paying the zakah, uh, by being good to our parents, uh, going to hajj, these type of things. Those are acts of worship. Again, orthopraxy, correct action, things that we have to do. And we know those things. And that's not the topic that we're focusing on. The second thing that they, they, they deduced <clears throat> is that God wants us to build this world in a, in a certain way. Because when God talks about the story of Adam, He says, uh, Allah has caused us to dwell on this earth this form of the verb in Arabic, istafala, means that the person has asked from the other person. So if God says, وَاسْتَعْمَرَكُمْ fiha, God has asked from us that we build it. Aymara is to build. Imran, development. So God has caused us to dwell on this earth on purpose, of course, and has asked from us that we build it, develop it. So we can't just sort of mope around, you know, uh, and like a Neanderthal. That was never going to be the goal. There's always going to have to be some sort of development. Now, you know, a place like Dubai, that's like development on steroids. So that's also maybe one extreme. But, but there's no accident that human beings, as we get together, we build things and we make tools and, and we build some kind of structure and, and we organize ourselves <clears throat> and we barter and we trade and 
there is this sort of social uh, economic interaction. And this is part of the human condition. As a matter of fact, this is what the Quran, what, what, in our religious tradition, what we believe God has asked from, the, from humanity. And this is really a huge, I think, um, point for us to reflect on because as people that occupy the time and space that we do, sometimes it's easy to get overwhelmed by our quote-unquote dunya life. But if we understand that our quote-unquote dunya life is actually a divine commandment, then that will help us derive greater meaning from what we're doing. Or, or hopefully help us, drive us to derive greater meaning from what we're doing. So that's the second meta goal. Why were we created? To worship and to build and develop the world. And the third thing which occupies us here is to improve ourself. Allah says, Blessed is the person that improves their nafs. Here the pronoun is going back to the nafs. And ruined is the person that allows it to fall. So this concept is teaching us a few things at the same time. Number one, as I just said, it's teaching us that this is a, a goal. One of our, the reasons why we were created was for this spiritual path. One of the reasons why we were created is to find the journey, each one of us, as those spokes from the circumference go to the centers I was talking about before with the Lego piece. That's the reason why we were created, is for each one of us to find that path and to go on it. And that's why the ulama use the word path, a tariq, because it's like you're on a journey. And the concept of journeying and traveling is a, is a theme, is a prophetic theme. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, be like the traveler. Be like the traveler, meaning in this world. Meaning that when you travel, you need to travel in some level of, of comfort. Of course, you need to take your things and you want to be as comfortable as you can. But at the end of the day, you can, if you get a bad seat on the plane, you're like, okay, it's only X number of hours left. Right? If you get to the terminal and everything is closed or it's not like as comfortable, like it's only X number of hours and then inshallah we'll catch the next flight or we'll go home or something like that. Unless you get stuck in the terminal like that movie, I think was, what's that movie called with Tom Hanks? Is it Tom Hanks? Terminal. It was called Terminal. That's, that's not what we want to be like. So, and I use this example because I think a lot of people travel so they can understand a little bit, whether domestically or internationally, but you can understand this hadith in that context. You know, don't live in the terminal. You know, you're not going to live in the plane. Um, so when the Prophet says, be in this world as if you're a traveler, it means, you know, you know take what you need from it, but don't, don't overthink and stress about it because it's only a number of hours, a number of days until it's all going to be over. And the people that really succeed are the people that can see that. They can see that this is just like a temporary thing. So the reason we call this the path to God, the spiritual path, and we use this word, <coughs> it's because the Prophet used this word to describe how our attitude should be to, to this life. So one of the reasons why we were created was for each one of us to find our individual path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to travel. Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah, he, he used to use a walking stick all the time, even though he was relatively young. And they asked him, why did you have a stick, even though the stick is, is from the sunnah, but why, 
Why do you have a walking stick? He says, to remind myself that I'm always traveling. So he wanted a physical prop so he would remember this lesson. That at the end of the day, everything that I'm doing here is going to add up, inshallah, to something that I will see at the end. I'm investing now to, to reap the reward, the dividends in the future. So this is where this theme of traveling and path and road, the word sharia itself is like a path. It's, it's a, it's a, in the Arabic language, it means a path. This is the path by which we worship our mechanical acts. We worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anyway, so this is one of the reasons why we were created is to improve ourselves. Another thing that we glean from this verse means that the nafs fluctuates. It's not always the same. That the nafs can be good or it can be bad. It can be up or it can be down. And that's what we're going to talk about, inshallah, today most of the time. So this is one of the, the ulama say this is one of the meta principles of why we were created. We were created to improve our nafs. And by improving our nafs, we are... Uh, you know, victorious in our path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا If you improve your nafs, you're going to be a winner. وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَاهَا But you'll be a loser if your nafs is low. So another meaning that we glean from this verse, from this principle, is that we can't just be the way we are and say, well, this is the way I am. We have to be the best version of ourselves. So the religion pushes us and puts this sort of pressure on us to be the best version of ourselves. Why settle for a low rank when we can do higher? Why settle for a low grade if we could do better? Why settle for a, a, a bad job if we can find a better one? Or whatever example you want to use to make this sort of clear. But in the morality and ethics and spirituality, Allah wants us to be the best version of ourselves. And I use that word ourselves just to remind us that it's an individual path that we each have to take. This is not like a cult, okay? It's not a group thing. We can do it together because we're social people, right? But, but it's each individual path. You have to find your path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So leaving the, uh, the first two, uh, worship and development, uh, that's for another conversation you know, altogether. Let's focus on the nafs. So we link what we talked about last time to this time. When the ulama examined this issue in the Qur'an, they discovered that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the nafs in different terms, in different verses. So... Uh, one time Allah will say, In Surah Yusuf, in the chapter of Joseph, when Joseph talks to Zulaikha, he says, Indeed, the nafs, the self that calls to bad actions. That's one kind of self. Elsewhere, we'll find that the Quran will say, The blameworthy self. And you'll see things like, Ya ayatuha nafsul mutma'inna. The mutma'inna nafs. So all of these different words. So just to make things a little simple, I'm going to share with you seven names or seven categories of the nafs. And, and this is not uh, the be-all and end-all. I'm just giving you sort of one version of it because some of the ulama, they'll say there's only three nafs. 
Some of them will say, well, there's 10,000. Well, I don't have the name of 10,000. We'll be here forever. So I'm going to go with seven. Okay, so it's sort of seven is like a, is a common theme in, the, in our literature of Islamic spirituality. So in ascending order, the first will be a nafs al-ammaru bisu, the nafs that calls to bad actions. And then a nafs al-lawama, the blameworthy self. So the previous nafs, it just, yeah, give in, you know, give in to sin, just, just, just do it, right? And be happy. That's a nafs al-ammaru bisu. It, it calls to bad actions. The one that's better than that is a nafs al-lawama. You still do it, but then you feel bad when you do it. So when you feel bad that you did something dumb or you shouldn't have done, that's actually a good sign. Because it could have been worse. You could have been oblivious. Or even really worse, you could have been happy when you were doing something wrong. And the ulama, they say, when you, make a, when you sin, think about who you're sinning against. And think about the happiness that you had while you were sinning. Meaning, encouraging us to feel bad about what we've done. So to encourage us to blame ourselves. The third level is a nafs al-mulhama. The nafs that's inspired. The, fifth, or the fourth is a nafs al-radiyah. The serene self. A nafs al-murdiyah. The contented self. Number six is a nafs al-mutma'inna. The soul found pleasing. And then the seventh is a nafs al-kamila, the complete self. So this is one uh, uh, scheme of understanding. And this is all from the Quran, but this is not. We didn't like make this up. This is all taking all of these verses together and putting them. Now, this is a another subject altogether. Is understanding what all of these nafses are. So the ulama that, that excel at this, they will say, okay, this nafs, it looks like this, uh, it does this, these are its characteristics. Sometimes they'll say there's a color associated with this nafs. Sometimes they will say there is a prophetic characteristic that's uh, associated with this. So this self is like Moses, is that, and this self is like Jesus. And it's, a very, it's very complicated. I mean, it's very... Like it's like Islamic psychology. It's very, very complicated. And at the risk of, of you saying that I've gone shushu on you, I'm gonna just, we're going to leave it as this is a very shallow, just scratching the surface. But there's a reason why I don't want to go too much into it, which is while there are ulama that have articulated the details, and if people want, I can, there's some literature that's in English that I can point to for you that you want. The goal is to transverse all of these levels. You don't necessarily need to know what all the levels are and what they look like and what you experience when you're in this level and you know, is it going towards Allah, away from Allah, by Allah, you know, the ulama, they use all these words. The goal is to know that there are different levels. But the focus of the Muslims historically has been what do you do so you can just cut through all of them and, and be on the path again to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the ulama, were, the Muslims were always very practical. This literature exists, but it hasn't been the focus, the focus on getting better. Now, to make things just a little bit more complicated, is that these levels of the self correspond, stay with me, correspond to five physical modes in the sort of sternum area 
by which one level is traversed to another level. And these are called the five subtle things, al-lata'if al-khamsa, or al-lata'if al-khams. Meaning that the ulama, <coughs> the ulama, excuse me, the ulama perceived that as people travel from one level to the next, they noticed almost a slight physical uh, sensation in the heart. So if you've ever had like a spiritual moment or like, you know, the imam at the prayer was like making dua and you sort of like broke down crying or, you know, you saw the Kaaba for the first time or, I don't know, you, you, you read this story and it like moved you. You feel something visceral and it manifests in some like tears of joy, of happiness. We call it, the, the Prophet Sassam called the light of faith, nur al-iman. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, uh, that Allah has made faith beloving to you and has beautified it inside you. And He has made disbelief and wrong action detestable to you. So Allah refers to faith and disbelief as emotions that, that are inside us that we can feel. So I'm not making it up. You know, this is how Allah describes it. So the ulama, they said, okay, in the heart, in the physical heart, in different places, as a person traverses from one level to the next, they feel it's almost like the clutch. When we used to have stick shift cars, for those that remember, you hit the clutch with your left foot to shift the gear. So the gears are like the levels of the self. The clutch are these lata'if al-khams. So I'm, and I'm just trying to be thorough, so I'm giving everyone a cursory understanding. So what are the lata'if al-khams? The first is the heart, al-qalb. The second is the soul, al-ruh. The third is the secret, al-sir. The fourth is the hidden, al-khafi. And the fifth is the more hidden, al-akhfa. And they're all sort of here, in this area. And again, for the, for the ulama, that, that, that this is their area of expertise, you know, they know these things. You will recall in the very beginning, we talked about everything in Islam is based on the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Right? No one disputes that. And I added, and the experience of the people that came before us. And this is why Islam is passed from, by person to person. It's not like an academic field of study alone. It's passed from person to person. None of us would dispute the fact that the companions were infinitely better than we were. Even though many of us will have more knowledge of Islam, like book knowledge, than some of the companions. Some of the companions they didn't know except a couple of surahs. Some of the companions didn't pray one rak'ah or make one wudu in their Islam. They became Muslim and they died in battle and that was that. But that person's spiritual rank you know, we would be the strap on the sandal of that person if we could, right? I and mean, we're nothing, we don't measure anything to them spiritually. But we might know more than them, book-wise. But it's not about book smarts, it's about practicality. Imam Malik, he said, the best form of knowledge is the knowledge that gets you from the time you wake up into the time you sleep. That's what the Muslims were concerned with. We don't need to do all of these intellectual gymnastics, even though our tradition is 
is prolific with those type of things. But for people like us, what we want is, what do we do now? How do I make the most of my day right now? So we also look at the experience of the people before us. So these things about the, 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 the stations in the heart, the lata'if al-kham, these things, this is by the experience. And you will find this, you know, these words, al-sir, al-khafi, al-ruh, al-qal, you will find them interchanged. So the, some of the ulama, they say, I want to understand what all of these, let me put all of these words together and dig deep and understand what it is. So they understood it academically, scholarly, and then they also found that it has an actual physical impact <coughs> in actual people as they observe them. And this is our psychology. This is, this, is what, you know, this is our form of spiritual psychology. So the question then should be, if you're still with me, is, I hope you're still with me, <clears throat> is what do we do, how do we, how do we what, what is the practical side of this? Okay? So before we get to that, let me just say something. What I, have been, what I am trying to do is give us an overview of our um, uh, Islamic spirituality without going into the details of this way or that way. So this is an overview that is meant to try to encompass what our religion offers in the way of how we experience our relationship with Allah. Because the Prophet ﷺ said this is about worshipping Allah as if you see Him. Any path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is about fundamentally taking you from the slowest level of your nafs to the highest level that you can achieve. Some of the paths, they won't call it that. Some of the paths won't mention that. But essentially, if, if you step outside and you analyze what our history of Islamic spirituality is about, this is what it's about. It's about how do you increase now, because it's based on experience, human experience, there are different ways. Remember when we talked about the circle and the spokes going to the middle, we said that there are an infinite amount of radii going from the circumference of a circle to the center. This is an infinite amount of ways. I mean, look at the Sahaba, about 114, 120,000 of the Sahaba. They were all different. Some did this, some did that. They, all, they weren't all uniform. You wouldn't have walked into Medina and everyone was wearing the same thing and the same color and had the same turban style. And it wasn't, it wasn't like that. They were regular people in the sense that they were, you know, outwardly they had to do what they had to do. And if you look at the stories of the Sahaba, and if we, if we had time later maybe and we analyze that, you would see that they're all diverse. But from our perspective, they're all up here, right? They're all the Sahaba, they're all the companions of the Prophet. These are the, the best generation the Prophet said. But if you hung out with them, they were all different. Remember the famous story, the Prophet ﷺ was sitting with some of the companions and he said the next person to come in is a person of paradise. So one of the companions, the Sahaba walked in, he was like, you know, just an average guy from the community. So the, the, the one of the companions, I forget his name, he said, I, wanna, I wanted to find out what was his secret. So I made up an excuse so I could go like hang out at his house for a few days. And the guy's like, yeah, sure, okay. A day passes, a second day passes, and the companion's like, this guy did nothing special. This is the most average person I've ever seen. Until the last day, he said, I couldn't take it anymore. So I confessed. He's like, look, I made up this, you know, excuse. But the Prophet said this thing about you. And the funny thing is that the man was just as shocked as, the, as this companion was. He said, he said that about me? 
He said, I, I don't do anything more than what you, you know, he just prays his five prayers at the mosque. You know, everyone was doing that in Medina. I don't really do anything extra. And he thought a little bit, he's like, but you know, there is actually one thing that, that comes to mind. Every time before I sleep at night, I make sure that I have no hatred in my heart for anyone. And then the companion said, ah, that's, that's what the Prophet ﷺ meant. That act alone made him call you, ﷺ, a person of paradise. To have no hatred in your heart for anyone. Despite the fact that every day people insult you, they can humiliate you, they can try to uh, do wrong by you, put you down, hurt you, all of these things. But you don't take it personally, you make sure that your heart is empty of that negative energy. Now if you, if you saw that companion, you, you, we would think maybe the same thing, this guy's average. Now, I pray more than he does. You know, I fast more than he does. At least, I, you would be thinking this subconsciously. But you see the differentiation is that one act that was done purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake. So my point is, is that now the Sahaba narrating that hadith, he didn't say that man's path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was based on this prayer. He didn't use that language. We use this language to impose a type of intellectual academic framework so we can understand what we're talking about. But if you use the structure that I'm placing for us, you will then be able to understand that that man was on that path using that act of worship. Meaning that his nafs was not the nafs that was calling to bad action, was not the nafs that was blameworthy. He was very content and happy. He was happy with what Allah has given him and he did not want to cause anybody any harm. So his nafs, his level was very high. So this, what, to just to, this was a tangent. To come back, <coughs> if you step back and you look at the experience of, of Muslims throughout Islamic history, from the time of the Prophet to our time, and you look at what Islamic spirituality entails, it entails traversing these levels to fulfill this divine commandment that we be the best version of ourselves. Now some of the paths to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's about invoking a certain name. So in the seven levels that I gave you, the ulama will say there are seven divine names that correspond to each level. So like nafs al-ammara bis-su, it corresponds to la ilaha illallah. If you, if you say la ilaha illallah x number of times, you will sort of conquer that level. Uh, this level it corresponds to al-hay, this level uh, it corresponds to qayyum. And there, are, and there are different formulas. Some people or some paths, their path is through khidmah, is through service. Some people or some paths, their path is through suhbah, is through you know, having communal gatherings. But what is happening in all of these different ways, there are formulas and techniques and tools to help each one of us get from the lowest level to the highest level. And those tools, it all depends, we'll talk about the, the specific tools later, but it all, it's all personal, it's all what works for you. Because we're all on a path individually. We might think that we are in a group together doing the path, but each one of us is on the path individually. So what works for me might not work for you. What works for you might not work for him, might not work for her, etc., etc. Okay? At the risk of um, getting too off into the ether, let me, let me stop, because I, I think I'm, I'm concerned by the looks 
uh, that I'm getting. So I'm going to actually, we'll pause here. And um, uh, inshallah, the next few times it will be very practical, practical tools and things like that. But I, 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 I think I owed it to you to give you a framework uh, because it's, I want people to understand the richness that our faith has uh, and the tools that are at our disposal. You know, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pause here.